So during this Lenten season, we're in, we're in a series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Near You. The Kingdom of Heaven is Near You. And this series is, a man, it's a long time coming. For me, it's really the birth of maybe close to about eight years, maybe more. And um, in, in 2015, I, I went through what would, what would later be popularly known as kind of a deconstruction. And it, it was a deconstruction of my, my whole way of thinking about life, my whole way of operating in life, and um, the way that I dealt with my emotions and, and, and my body and my mind and my spirituality, everything. And during that time, I didn't know what I believed or what I would believe on the other side of it. And um, I continued in my community in this church here. At the time, I was not the pastor. And I, commu- I, I continued in my, uh, in my relationships and my disciplines. And I just doubted out loud. I distrusted out loud with the people that were closest to me. And through that process, I, I, I began to, to reform and, and rebuild. And some of those things happened without me realizing it. Some of it happened because I was still able to find trust and hope in things greater than myself. And as that process occurred, this phrase that Jesus talks about a lot, the kingdom of heaven, and, and the way he talks about it, in the Gospels, it began to make sense to me in a way that it never had before. Because it always seemed like something different or something extra than the way that I had been taught about my faith as a Christian. And I began to see the kingdom of heaven in a way that Jesus started describing it, at least it seemed that way to me, that the kingdom of heaven was something that was at hand, that it was near, that even that it was within me, And that there was an access that Jesus wanted us to have right here and right now to this other type of kingdom, other type of world. And so this series is really about an invitation. It's an invitation for us to see this world the way that Jesus did. Also known as the kingdom of heaven. To be able to see it through his teachings, his actions, his allegories, his miracles. To, to make known to us that this place right now, the place that we are living in right now, that there is actually an accessible world to us in which we see things differently called the kingdom of heaven. Why, why do I think that we need this? Why does this seem like an important time? Well, because I think that sometimes we... Our sight becomes blurry. It becomes even disfigured to the point that we can't see the beauty of the world anymore. We can't see the life that God is producing around us and others. We become so cynical about everything that we see, and it's easy for that to happen. Or we stop being able to hear the good news, the good things in our lives that come from other people, that come from God, that message that's available to us, that hopeful message of the gospel. We can't hear it anymore. Even something as simple as somebody telling you, I love you, 
or you did a good job, or I'm thankful to be around you. We get deaf to those things. And mute, because if we can't see it and we can't hear it, we're probably not speaking it to other people. And so what we're spreading is not the life and the gospel, even if we use those words sometimes, but we're spreading something that is, uh, has been malformed or disfigured because of the way that we see the world around us and the things that we are lacking and unable to hear anymore. So we started this series two weeks ago in the book of Matthew where Jesus is tempted to take over, take over all the kingdoms of the earth, that the only person who should be in control says, no, I'm not going to control. And we talked about that access to the kingdom of heaven is a process in which we move away from the islands of control, the isolating islands of control, and, and we cross over a bridge of of trust and faith into this new kingdom of heaven. And and last week, Jesus had another conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and he talked about this idea of, of being born again, that there was a possibility for a a baptism and an immersion into a a new birth. And this birth actually actually brings us all the way back to God's original intent, that there there was something about us, something at the core of each person that speaks the word of God into the world. And that And that pursuing that new life, that new birth, that kingdom of heaven could allow that word to speak into our world right here today. And this morning, you know, this this series, if you're if you're a visitor, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that you're here this morning. Because this series is really kind of about evangelism which isn't really like something that Christ City has, well, I don't think it's something this church has ever been really good at or really knew what to do with and that kind of thing of just like sharing our faith because a bunch of us grew up with uh, with the, the, the tracks, you know, the canned kind of presentations. And we, some of us have bad experience about pizza lock-ins where you literally get locked in for somebody to like preach the gospel to you. You got a free ticket at a mall and then you ended up locked in a gym and somebody's like saying, you need to repent now before you leave. And you can only have one piece of pepperoni pizza. You know, that's the kind of thing. We have all these, and, and, and then today, I mean, you know, the, the word evangelical, if you see it in the news, you're usually not going to see something good after that word a lot of times. And so this, this series is really about what does it mean to invite people into the kingdom of heaven the way Jesus did? That way of seeing reality, that way of hearing reality, that way of speaking reality into the world that is so incredibly attractive and it meets so many of the deepest needs within us that we actually don't feel like we're doing any of that stuff that we maybe associate with that if we grew up that way. So yeah, that's, that's what I want to talk about for the, for the, the next few minutes is, is just that idea of sharing our faith and, 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 and what does it mean, our, our faith, when we share our faith with somebody, when you think about it, when you think about doing that or you actually do it, do you feel constricted? 
Do you feel that you have only a particular picture to work with or a particular way of speaking to work with? And if you veer outside of that, that it's like you're having a normal conversation and then all of a sudden you have to like step out of the normal conversation you're having and start saying, did you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And you have to go into this presentation. But what, what I want to offer to you this morning is that if we are inviting people into seeing the world the way that Jesus talked about, seeing the kingdom of heaven, then it's possible that we could share our faith, the thing that gives us hope beyond the next paycheck, that gives us hope beyond being able to buy our next house or stay married to our spouse or get our next meal or get our Roth IRAs in order or whatever it is that feels like the hope right in front of you that we have hope beyond those things that perhaps it could be as natural as that regular conversation you're having as even as breathing as eating as drinking to invite somebody into the kingdom of heaven so Let's take a look at this incredible story. We won't be able to investigate it it fully because it is such a long and beautiful and well-written story, but we'll be able to look at a a few things here. Let's start in verse chapter 5. So he came to a town, Jesus, to a town in Samaria called Shekar, Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Also, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So here's the scene. Jesus traveling with his entourage of disciples, and they're going through this town called Samaria. And, and it's kind of like, you know, um, if, if you're like, well, I was going to do a sports analogy, and then I realized I didn't prepare for it, and I'm not really a sports guy, so I can't do that. But you're, you're, uh, you're, doing a, you're, you're going through a part of town, and there's bad blood. Let me just say it like that, right? There's bad blood between you and the folks that live in town. And they're going through a desert area where there's a well. Um, there, there's a barren area there. And they've been traveling since probably like 6 a.m., you know, um, some, like some of you feel right now just from that one-hour time change. Uh, so it's like they're going through, and there's a well there, and Jesus stops at the well, and he's tired. And the disciples go off to buy food. So he's, he's tired, and he's thirsty, Probably not, you know, at the top of his game, not at the height of, of his uh, intellectual aptitude and maybe a little hangry, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of, hey, you guys, have you seen those memes where somebody's kind of like looking off into the distance and they're like, yep, I think I'm already tired tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you ever feel like that? I feel like that. I feel like that at least, I got three little kids and uh, even if you don't, I mean, it's just sometimes I feel like that. I'm like, yep, I, I can already tell. I'm tired tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's already there. It doesn't matter what happens the rest of the day. So Jesus, is, he's hot. He's alone. And he's, he's sitting at this well. And then here comes this woman. Middle of the day, she's going to gather water 
sun's up in the air, it's really hot, she's all by herself. So this tells you she's not popular, okay? Because at that time, in that place, the women would have gone when the sun was low, maybe even not even up, to get water for the day. And then they would have come back later in the day when the, water was, or when the sun was, was lower. So she's coming in the time of day where she knows nobody else will be there. But Jesus was there. That's happened to me before. <laughs> I thought, nobody else is going to be around, and I'm here all by myself. And then God's like, hey, now I'm here, buddy. <laughs> so she's there. She's a social pariah. She, to Jesus, as a Jew, Jesus is a Jew, to, to Jesus' people, she is really unclean, unpure, ritually unclean and unpure, which is a really big deal, okay? So it's, it's really bad. It's like, you know, if you're, a, a, if you're a Grizzlies fan, I'm trying. I'm trying, no. And, and, and it's like you got like a Boston Celtics fan. I don't know. That fell flat, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Warriors, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Go Grizz. All right. Jaw's innocent, right? Jaw Morant. <laughs> he's, he's definitely not. <laughs> um, so, so, this is, so this is the, this is the situation. And then Jesus is asking her for a drink of water. Verse 9, it says, A Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the writer, just to make sure we understand the situation, says, For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So much bad blood here. Lots of bad stuff that has gone on between the Jews and Samaritans. And it's probably because they're actually family. And here's the thing. This is like the human crisis, is that we are all actually family. And that, uh, whew, that hit me deeper than I thought, wow. And, and that this gospel reality, this invitation into the kingdom of heaven is an invitation to, to rejoin the family, to, to, to rejoin the, the community. And so these these two groups of people, the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they, were, all, they were all the people of Israel at one point. They were all under the same, the, same, uh, the same family and the same religion and everything. And yet, here they are, completely at odds with one another. And so, Jesus asks her for a drink, and she's surprised. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I just think of pro wrestlers when I hear Jesus talking about himself in third person like that, you know. It's like, the rock says, you know, that kind of thing. Jesus, uh, he, he's presented with a, with a divisive issue by the Samaritan woman. And he just kind of ignores it. And I, this is a theme in this, in this conversation because Jesus isn't really, he's not really looking to have arguments and debates. He doesn't really need any of that to kind of justify himself or make himself feel good that he's really good at, at arguing. He would be a boring pundit on, on, on CNN or Fox News or something like that. He would just be boring because he, he just wouldn't take the bait. 
And the other thing is, Jesus has an actual, real, physical need. He's not coming to her on the top of his game, and he's like, I got it all together. Let me tell you about the gospel, and let me tell you how awesome that everything is and how I've got it all figured out, even though he does. He's coming to her thirsty and tired. Isn't that interesting? I wonder how many times we're in a situation where we're like, well, I can't, I couldn't possibly share, you know, this private faith that I have with somebody because look at my life. Look at what's going on with me. I've got needs, and I'm, I, I'm not uh, in a good place right now. Didn't bother Jesus, though. He's still confident to talk to her about her deeper spiritual needs, even though he's asking her for something to drink. You know, I don't think... That's the current problem with us here, though, is like having it all together in order to share. I think it's more of like we've all, we've all you know, been uh, opening up all of our cans of, of doubt and, and um, all the things that we were told earlier that we couldn't question, and all that's out on the table. And we're like, I, I've got to have all this resolved before I could possibly tell anybody, even though it really is my hope. It really is my faith, and it really is the most important thing. Even though I have all these doubts about it, I've got to get all that wrapped up and figured out before I could share it with somebody else. I think that's more kind of where we're at, where we're like, yeah, we got to, got to, got to have a bow on, on, on some of these things before we could do that. Uh, or maybe it's, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to like tell my friend, like, this is really what I believe in. I'm a Christian because of all the news headlines. All those evangelistic, or not evangelistic, evangelical news headlines that I mentioned earlier. Or maybe even it could be that you've kind of forgotten. You've kind of forgotten that you've got a deep need and spiritual thirst within you, and you've kind of gotten really um, in, in just a funk in life, and you're just kind of content with the streaming services in the evening and a little nightcap to knock the edge off and, uh, you know, just kind of scrolling on your phone. And, and, and you've, maybe you've lost some of the sight. Some of the, some of the edge has been blunted in your life. And there's not a sense of, uh, of desire for something deeper right now. Has it, has it stopped occurring to you that you won't find your serenity or peace or satisfaction through those things. But that deepening your contact with God will. It happens to me. It happens to me sometimes on like a day-by-day a day day sort of basis where I'm like, if I can just get, if I can just get the, this one burger, right? This burger from, uh, uh, what's our place? Uh, the that I love and I can't think of the name, Hop Dottie, yes, a Hop Dottie burger. You know, then I'm gonna feel satisfied for the day, right? Or if I can finally see that movie that I've been wanting to see, I wanna see Creed Three really bad. And if I could see that movie, then I would just feel satisfied, right? So I think, you know, we lose sight that there is something beyond those things because we're immersed with so much stuff. Uh, we've been talking about 
Howard Thurman, this uh, mystic, this preacher, this writer, uh, who, who was kind of a secret. I saw CNN did an article on him not too long ago of like this unknown civil, civil rights uh, leader and influencer. He's a huge influencer uh, to Martin Luther King Jr. And um, he, he, he writes this book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And the, the thing that's really interesting about his description of Jesus is he, he takes a special care and concern to see Jesus as a lower-class citizen, son of a carpenter, grew up under the oppression of the, of the Roman Empire, and that he's delivering his gospel in this way. And here we see a moment where Jesus, not on the top of his game, is actually treating this Samaritan woman who there's bad blood in between. And he's there. He is there. Make no mistake. He's there to tell her about him and the gospel. That's what he's there for. And yet he treats her like a sister. Can you give me some water? And she's blown away by it. And Howard Thurman, he, he writes about this necessity of understanding this about Jesus and his, and his ministry. And he says this, it has long been a matter of serious, uh, it has long been a matter of serious moment. Oh, that's, that's, there's a typo in there. Uh, that for decades we have studied the various peoples of the world and those who live as neighbors as objects of missionary endeavor. This is part of what we don't, what, we, what some of us have reacted to, what we don't like, of missionary endeavor and enterprise without being at all willing to treat them as either brothers or as human beings. Yeah? Like, hey, I've got something to share. I don't have all of it, but maybe I have something to invite you into, something that's given me new hope, new life, new sight, but hey, could you also give me a drink of water? You know? Could, could you also help me with, uh, with something that's going on in, in, in my life? Can you give me a shoulder cry? You have access to resources and important things too. And this is the approach we see Jesus taking here as he's sharing and he's receiving from her. And that's something we must always remember. There's so much that we could get into this point right now with the history of our country and all the things going on, but we must always remember that we rely on the work and pain of many other people for our lives and our lifestyles. And that we, none of us, are independent and none of us are without the need and the connection to, for example, the working poor, right? Much less the environment, the, the actual thin little slice of our planet that sustains the life that we all have. So verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep because Jesus told her about this other water, right? This special water, this living water. So she's like, you don't, you don't even have a thing to draw with and this well is really deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well, that's, that's their common patriarchal ancestor. They share this, this story. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Again, Jesus doesn't answer. He, 
He doesn't say, heck yeah, I'm greater than Jacob. What do you mean? Like, you're about to find out some things. Uh, you know, he doesn't do any of that. He just answers and goes to the, the deeper part. For us, we don't, we're not Jesus, so we, don't, we can't, uh, can't do it like he does. But what we can do is we can listen. We can listen beyond the, the controversial things that are being brought up. We can not take the bait to get into the, the, the latest controversies of the day, and we can listen for the heart of what's going on with another person. But guess what? you got to do that for yourself, too. You can't do that with anybody else. You can't really listen and be present with other people if you haven't even done that in your own heart, in your own mind, and you might need help doing that. You might not be able to do that without help. So Jesus answers her, Everyone who drinks this water, this Jacob's well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is like, yeah, this, this well, it, it is historically important. And water is extremely important. That's why I'm using the metaphor of it. But it's just, this is just a well in front of you. So he's not getting uh, sidetracked. And he's not, um, I'm, I'm pretty thirsty this morning. All this talking about wells, man, it's made me really thirsty. Uh, Jesus, he's not direct, directly engaging what she's saying. Uh, but he's moving on. She's there concerned with something really important. Water. She lives in a desert, okay? So water is incredibly important. And he's not negating that importance, but he is saying, I actually know that this thirst that you have for water, it's actually a pointing, to, it's pointing to a deeper need that you have as a human being. And I am aware of that, and I actually have something for that. I actually have something that can help you with that. And so with her, he's talking about this water welling up to eternal life. Last week with Nicodemus, he was talking about being born again. With somebody else, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is this mustard seed. With another person, he's saying it's light. With another person, he's saying it's fish in a net. You see what's going on here? You see this sort of way that we're supposed to think about just in these certain lines about how we're supposed to think about God and Jesus and what Jesus is about and all these things. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't follow all the rules everybody's made about how you're supposed to talk about Jesus and interact with Jesus. He's saying, hey, you know what? The kingdom of heaven's everywhere. Anything is at my disposal to talk about, to engage the life of you, the gospel, God, everybody. It's right here. You don't, have to, you don't have to memorize this, that, or the other. I'm not saying you don't have, it's not a good idea to memorize Scripture. I'm just saying you can breathe, you can observe, you can see it if you want to. You ever had to memorize something like a process, like at a job or like a presentation at school or something like that? I've always been terrible at, at, at doing that. Like when, when I was working for a carpenter and he was like, this is exactly how you do this. 
you put in the insulation. And so I'm trying to do it exactly the way he showed me. And he comes back uh, from the store or something. He's like, that's all you've gotten done? And I'm like, yeah, ah, I've just never been good at that. But when I've been able to use my own skills, my own faculties, my own reasoning, I've found a lot of success in life. I found, wow, like I see things in a certain kind of way. I hear things in a certain kind of way, and that's valuable. And that is something that the world needs. The same thing is true of if you were to invite somebody into faith. You actually, you don't, you don't have to only do it in some kind of narrow way. You can actually be like Jesus. And here's, here's the thing. We've got to actually be able to do that ourselves in our own lives. Is actually open up to the possibility that the kingdom of heaven is at work right there in the pew next to you, at home with your crying child and the argument you and your spouse just had. That it's there, that it's active, that it's present, that there's something more to see. You know, the other thing is, How many of you grew up and the whole emphasis or most of the emphasis of your faith was on guilt, guilt and repentance? Okay, few of us. Some of you are like, no, I went to this mega church and they never even said that word before, right? They just gave us lots of free stuff and definitely pizza, right? Lots of pizza, Not, no one-piecers at the mega church, one-piecers. The thing is, in this conversation, Jesus doesn't start talking about you're you're guilty, you need to repent. He actually meets her about what's really on her mind, what's really important to her in that moment, which is that she's thirsty. She's there to get some water. And so if Jesus was to just say like, hey, water's not important at all. Let me tell you about how you're a sinner and you need to repent. I don't think she'd be that interested in that conversation in that moment. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about water. And she's thirsty. So the woman said in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's she's really interested in this. And it, it reminds me, there's a guy that I know, and I would, I would, consider, I would consider him a friend, but uh, also I had a lot of conversations with him that I really didn't ever want to have, and that he worked at the place where I was working out, and so he would just come over, and, and I would just be trying to work out, and so we would be having these conversations that I wasn't, wasn't, didn't want to have. And, and he was talking about how he was witnessing, and he was like, yeah, these people, they just don't care about Christ. And it, I just thought about that when I was thinking about this conversation in this moment, because I was like, I, I don't know that what, what you and I, when we imagine what Christ is doing in the world and in us, I don't, I don't know that we, we would have had the same conversation with those people that you're actually witnessing to, right? I don't think it's that they didn't care about Christ. I think they didn't really see that what you were offering had any real value to them in the life that they had to live. So, so Jesus 
is talking to this woman about something that had direct importance and urgency in her life. And he saw the world as only Jesus could, where everything was saturated with the presence and the symbols of God. So he could use water, he could use fish, he could use flowers, he could use birds, he could use a tower that fell on some people, he could use anything. Didn't matter, just like breathing. Howard Thurman says something about this uh, in, uh, I think, yes, yeah, also Jesus and the Disinherited. He says this, Mere preaching is not enough. What are words, however sacred and powerful, in the presence of the grim facts of the daily struggle to survive? Any attempt to deal with this situation on a basis of values that disregard the struggle for survival appears to be in itself a compromise with life. So you want to talk to somebody, you want to preach at them about things, and what's in front of them, what's in their heart and mind is an issue of survival. It might not actually be survival, but it might feel like survival, or it could actually be survival. It could actually be, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. That that would feel like to that person a compromise with life itself. That's not witnessing about this kingdom of heaven. That's not witnessing about the life in Christ. It's just not. It is only when people live in an environment in which they are not required to exert supreme effort into just keeping alive that they seem to be able to select ends beside those of mere physical survival. So Jesus meets this woman right here at a well with the need for water in a desert. We might, we might need to continue this one next week. Um, an, an, as I close, uh, Gandhi, famous for saying different versions of this, there are so many hungry people that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. Jesus, after feeding 5,000, probably more like 15,000 people uh, with bread, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then a little later, around that same part, or actually right before that, Oh, no, this is, uh, he said this in this passage that we've been studying in John 4. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Isn't that interesting? That our need for survival, our need for food and sustenance and all of those things, that Jesus carries that forward and he says, I know that need. I've been hungry and thirsty too. And yet you were made for more than that. You were made for a deeper communion with God and experience with this life. The kingdom of heaven is near us. That's why we're about to eat bread and drink wine together. It is bread and it is wine and it is also the body of Jesus.
and the blood. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the inquisitiveness of this Samaritan woman at the well. Thank you for her testimony and her witness to the people that she knew in her time and also to us as we get to bear witness through the scriptures. I pray for anyone this morning who has set aside their hope, who has fallen prey to cynicism, that you would reinvigorate their hearts and that you would reinvigorate their faith through coming to the table, through prayer and worship this morning. Amen.